Yo, yo, what's up? Welcome to PJ's Reality Check. Yeah. I am Pierre. And I am Jimmy Jimbo. Today we will be talking to Brian, Mr. Brian, Ugo, whatever you want to call him. And he'll be giving us a little bit of a, a, a background of his life and his experience here in America and the things that he went through. Yes, yes. And it's very interesting because we're in Los Angeles. We're, we're at Barnsdall Park, which is in Hollywood. And for myself growing up here on this side of town, I've come across all kinds of characters, all kinds of people. But one thing that is constant when you're walking through these streets, whether you've lived here your whole life or whether you're visiting or whether you're a tourist, you're going to come across quite a few people who are sleeping on the streets. You, you see it everywhere. You see it all through Hollywood. And a lot of people know it for that. And so there are all kinds of stories about homelessness. And, and today, Brian is going to share a little bit about his experience with that regard. But first, you're going to tell us a little bit about how you arrived to the States, what that looked like for you, and, and how you sort of eventually found yourself in a situation similar to where people are at right outside this car right at this park parks in particular and this one too included are serious sites for people that have nowhere else to go so homelessness is is real it's it's as real as it's ever been before but oftentimes you don't get to hear enough from people who've been in that situation and so today brian you're going to tell us a little bit about that Tell, tell us first about how you got to the States, how old you were, and, and where you started, basically. Um, my name is Hugo, or Brian, and I came here to the U.S. when I was 19 years old. Um, I, um, I, I was blessed enough to uh, be living here in the U.S., and it was different than living in Mexico. Um, it all started in Santa Mon- in, in South Central. I was living in South Central and then working in Santa Monica. So it was two different cities. And um, it was different people and different lives, uh, uh, different uh, uh, ways of living. So yeah. how did you have the opportunity to come here? Um, I came here illegally, um, you know, like through the mountains and whatever. And my dad paid for my uh, for coyote. for my coyote to come here, which was the smuggler. That's the name for the smuggler in Espanol. Okay. Right, right, right. So you you made that journey. You were 19, and and you and you and so you said you had a father. So you had a father living here in Los Angeles. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Okay. So you you went and and lived with him after he paid for your trip through Mexico. And you started working almost right away, I imagine. Next that day. That was the idea. The next, the next day. day. Wow. Wow. Well, tell us about that experience of uh, you working in the United States, you know, the type of things you encountered on a job, and, and what you were able to do as an employee working in uh, someone who may or may not have spoken English very well. Um, it was really difficult for me because I didn't speak any English whatsoever. And I was, like I said, I was only 19 years old. And when people saw me with the Santa Monica Air Center radio, they thought I knew what I was doing. And, you know, they came up to me asking me questions. Hey, you know where the office is? You know where the conference room is? 
and I'd be like, oh, no English. And they'd be like, what the hell are you doing here if you don't even speak the language? Wow. But they didn't understand that I was all, I was fresh here. Only two or three days, and I was already working in Santa Monica. So they'd be like, they'd be like looking at me like, so then what the hell? Even one guy said, so what are you doing here in the U.S. if you don't even speak the language? Wow, that's very powerful. That's very powerful to hear because... On the one hand, you are a worker. So you're doing something that this person is benefiting from. But because you don't speak the language, they they forget that part. And they figure, well, what are you doing? Yeah. But but what was your specific job at, when you got to the States when well, you were 19? I just want to... Um, and, and go ahead. I just want to add on just to flip it really quick. You know, if, if Americans were to go to Mexico and they say, yeah, I don't speak Spanish... I'm pretty sure the response isn't going to be like, what? You know, you don't speak Spanish? I mean, I'm, there's probably someone there who can, uh, is going to translate. And they just they just roll with the punches, you know. That's yeah. what my assumption is. Obviously, I've never been to the, uh, Mexico, so I we're can't confirm that. that. We're still gonna I can't confirm that, but that. I just think that maybe that's probably, you know... Um, there's probably a situation that you'll encounter if you go there because you have to you have to hear a story uh, from a friend or a family member that went to Mexico and someone was shocked that they didn't speak Spanish they just accept it and they just help you out as they can but um, yeah I just think that that's a very interesting contrast there of how um, arrogant you can be when you're privileged versus when um, you're not you know, I think you're more humble and more open to just work with people when you're not privileged. And so, Ugo, tell us, tell us what your job, what your specific job was when you got here and you started helping out your father at the airport, at the um, Santa Monica airport, you said, right? Yes. We were actually uh, doing um, uh, maintenance, like building maintenance. So I was cleaning up the bathrooms. I was just replacing windows. I was killing weeds and um, just sweeping around. Let me ask you this. You you were being paid privately by your father, if you will, to do that work, correct? So he was paying you under the table or someone was paying the both of you. How, how did that look? As in, to me, if I'm thinking about any kind of work at the airport, as someone born here, I think to myself, oh, well, I would have to apply for that job. But you, you kind of just like came by with your father one morning and started right away right so how did, how did that go who was paying you at that job um it was actually the um, his boss said hey if you get him a, a like a real social social security number and with with the same name we're gonna pretend like he's that person oh so it was right. legit it was legit like if i was let's say i was carlos jimenez and the guy was born here or he was legal i was carlos so now, now I want to add a comment because when they asked you, what are you doing here? What you, what you could have said, maybe what, what some people would argue you should have said was, oh, I, I'm being ripped off by a person that is exploiting me and my father because it's far cheaper to do that than to pay someone like you. That, that's what I'm doing here. I, I'm being ripped off is, is what's going on. So when people are asking, what are you doing? You're, you're being taken advantage of because you have little to no knowledge of the culture and all you are aware of is that if you show up and do a job, you will be paid. And there's somebody up there, a boss, who knows that you probably don't even speak the language but who is still happy to take your hard work 
and, and pay you a dime for it because it's it's better for them that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, one of the benefits that a lot of people uh, don't want to acknowledge when when they've uh, chosen the political view to um, to be a part of. But you know, it works both ways, really. I mean, you you have your your good, you have your bad, and I think they find the the, the bad that do come in. And they magnify it when they have certain, you know, political uh, views, and that right there really does a disservice to uh, to America, because you know, as Americans, if we didn't need the labor, we wouldn't accept it. That's just plain and simple. You know, we're not forced to accept anyone. You know, or we're not forced to um, allow anyone to work if they didn't need it. They just simply wouldn't do it. Right. And that's a great point because um, I guess, you know, like it was a great opportunity for me. And I didn't feel like I was getting ripped off because I was making way more money than I was in Mexico. And they were happy that I was working hard, even though I didn't speak the language, but I was getting my stuff done. And I think it worked. It worked out both ways. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's certainly a transaction. You know, it, it's certainly a transaction. Uh, I think that you, as, as noted, you came here looking for a better life. And so the fact that you were able to find work the next day and get paid for that work on that day or at the end of the week ASAP, it, it was better. So, so life improved. But at the same time, you, you came here... Let me ask you this. Did, did you complete high school in Mexico? Did you complete your high school education, for example? Uh, no, I didn't. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And so you, you noted to us before the podcast that in your experience, when it came to having a good time, to socializing, since as, since as early as your days as a teenager in Mexico, drugs sort of revolved around a good time they, they were usually involved in having a good time one way or another so when you got to the states that 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 was still the case for you right as a 19 year old with with not even a high school education that was just the way that you hung out yeah yeah it was um actually it took me like two years to uh, start using drugs again because I, I think i was like 21 when i started using cocaine again and you know because i was more focused on on you know working and and trying to get some clothes trying to get a car and just have a better life help my family back in mexico and that's what i was doing for two years even when i was using i was still helping out my family so let me ask you this just just as just for for our facts as well how old were you when you bought your first car how long did it take you to get a car after you started working in, in the States. Do you, do you remember that? Um, yeah, it took two years. It took two years. Yeah, but that's because I didn't want to get a car because I didn't have a license. And, you know, I had to go to another state to get a license because they didn't ask you for a social security. But that license was, I was okay to uh, drive here legally in, the, in, in L.A. So I had to do that. So after I got my license, that's when I bought my car. I see. Two I years see. later. And so two years later, it sounds like you, you, you kind of establish yourself a little bit in Los Angeles because it, when, once you get your license and you have your car, now you know how the culture works a little bit. Maybe you picked up a little bit of the English. Maybe you have a few of the sayings. 
And so one way or another, you, you find yourself uh, with a little bit of time on your hands and a little bit of money in your pocket and, and you're using again at that point or, yeah. or at, you begin to use again. Yes. So you're at a party somewhere, you're hanging out and, and once you start using again, you, you sort of get back into that as in it becomes habitual is it, from what I understand. How did it go? Um, I was actually only using it on the weekends, but I was, if I was, let's say I was getting like just a 20 for the whole weekend, then I started using 50, uh, buying $50, then a hundred. And that was my limit, a hundred dollars per weekend. And so this was the case for a few years, but then you, you meet someone, you meet, you meet a woman in Los Angeles, I assume. Mm-hmm. T- tell us, tell us about what that was like for you. Um, she was actually she had a lot of money, and she was buying cars and motorcycles for me. So I started taking things for granted. Is that right? Mm-hmm. How so, did you two meet? How did you meet this wealthy woman? Uh, we went. We, I went to a nightclub in in Hollywood, and that's where we met. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And so was this was this a white woman? Was this a Latina woman? Uh, she was actually Mexican, but she became an American citizen by uh, naturali- naturalization. And so was she using as well? No, she wasn't. She actually hated drugs. She didn't know I was using. She didn't know you were using, mm-hmm. but she, you met and, and you sort of had a good time. You got to know one another and you... You come to accept these gifts from her, basically. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty major gifts. You said yeah. she bought you a, a motorcycle? And, and a couple cars, and she was paying for everything. And so I imagine then that you end up living with her. Yeah, but I was still working, though. I never stopped working. So I was just, like, keeping my money, and she was buying my cars, my motorcycles, and I was helping out a little bit, but not as much. So let me ask you this, then. How old is this woman? And when she comes into your life, how does that go over with your father? Because you started here in Los Angeles living with your father. Then you meet this woman. You will go on to move in with her. Do you recall the conversations with your pops about what what was going on back then or not so much? Yeah, actually, um, my dad saw one of my cars and he was like, where did you get this from? And I said, well, my, my new girlfriend bought it for me. And... You know, like he says, so you're not working anymore. I'm like, yeah, I'm still working, but she's just buying the cars and the motorcycles for me. Wow. So, um, so you're getting all of these gifts from her, and you're enjoying your life, and you're using drugs at the at this time. Can you please explain, like, how, how did it escalate to more drug uses and different type of drugs? It was one day, um, I was working with this guy, he, uh, he was, uh, he was working for this guy, uh, uh, installing, uh, radios, and he brought me a pipe with some, with some, uh, crystal meth, and he says, you want to try this, and I said, no, but the next day, he brought me a brand new pipe, and he brought me, he gave me $20 worth of crystal meth, and he says, it's for free, bro. Enjoy. This is how you smoke it. He, he told me how to do it. I did it. I came out of the bathroom and I was like, woo. And so to be sure, by this point, you're married already. Yes, I was. this woman, right? Mm-hmm. You had been married to her for... Three years. 
Gotcha. And so you were still using, and along came this other friend, and he had a pipe, and little by little, you you found yourself smoking crystal meth. Yeah. Now, at that point, about three years into your marriage, is your wife, at that time, does she become aware that you're a user? Because about three years in, I, I imagine it's kind of hard to hide. Yeah. She um she kind of knew and she was asking me but I always regret it. I always denied it. And but sooner or later she was like she was done with me cuz she knew I was using even though I was denying it. She knew. So we got to a point where I couldn't deny it anymore. So she says, "You know what? This is not working out." So she just said, "You know what? We need to uh we I need to uh, break up with you." So, so she breaks up with you. You get a divorce, um, or were you? Yeah, were you we not? Got, yeah, we got divorced. Now let me ask you this: What does your father say at that point? Be, be, or are you not talking with your father at that point? Because it's, it's like you, you were 19 when you arrived, and then you met your wife when you were 21, 26, 27. So. You're with her for about three years. Are you still in talks with your pops or yeah. not so much? What did what did your father say when you told him about that? That you that you two were looking to get a divorce? Um, he said he said what's going on? And I said, Because I'm using drugs. I told him, you told like, him straight up. I told him I'm using drugs and I'm I'm not giving her the time and, and what the time and, and the uh, 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 what do you call that? Commitment. Uh, yeah, that she wants me. To, uh, she wants from me. So she's done, and I'm done, and I just don't want to see her anymore. And can I live with you? And he said, Yeah, right away. He took you back in. Yeah. And it's just you and your dad again? No, he actually had had a, a girlfriend, and he's still with the same person. They're still together, but um, I made him go through hell. Because of my using, I was my, my I was um, I was a, I became a liar. I was just whatever it took for me to get my next hit, and I didn't care about my family. I didn't care about anything but just get my next hit. That's all I cared about. Well, uh, please, please explain to us how that mentality led you to eventually uh, um, choose to be homeless. Um. Well, it all started when my dad was asking me to stop using. I went to a rehab two times and he paid for it. But then I thought, you know what? This I'm just wasting my time going to rehab because I just want to use. I, I don't want to stop. And like if I go to rehab, I'm not going to be using. So I'm wasting my time. So as soon as I came out, like the first time I, I was clean for seven months. The second time I was clean for 11 months. and. Wow. I, you know, uh, just one day I said, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to go ahead and use drugs. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. So if I'm in the streets, nobody, nobody's going to tell me what to do. So I decided to just be homeless. To me, that's so interesting because when you say, first off, I was clean for about seven months. And then you say... Secondly, I was I was then clean for like 11 months. To me, that that feels like progress. 
Like, I, I read that and I think to myself, oh, so it was getting a little better. But then, actually, it's it's about to get a lot worse, is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I remember the, the second time when I was clean for 11 months, um, all of a sudden I decided to just go pick up a little 20. And I said, just a little 20, just for tonight. That little 20 took me two, two years or three years to get clean again. So it felt like it was just going to be one more moment. Yeah. It was just going to be a, a last hit, maybe something of something of that sort. Mm-hmm. And yet it was actually going to take, how long did you say? Like in between two or three years. I'm not, I can't really be sure. Yeah, I see. And so eventually when, when that is the case, you you leave home. I imagine imagine like you you gathered a few of your things and and you just hit the road. What do you remember your first night sleeping on the street? At um, all or Yeah, it was actually um, it was pretty interesting because I was still working in, in uh, Culver City. I was still working and I just one all of a sudden I decided I'm not going home anymore because I had a few dollars in my pocket. And I said, fuck it, I can still get drugs, I can still get some food, but I didn't know that it was going to get worse. And it did. I remember those Sundays when I woke up at 2, 3 in the morning after being high the whole night and just be so hungry and thirsty and just go in the streets. Usually on Sundays, there's, there's not a lot of people in the streets because they're home or they're going to church or whatever. And I just, I was so hungry and I was, why am I, why am I living this life? Why do I have to live like this? So, wow, wow. And so let me ask you this then, like your first couple of months, maybe you remember clearly, maybe not, because I know that that the experience, getting high, it, it, it blurs a lot out. But if you recall, what, what, were your, what was the difference between your first night on the streets versus three months on the street like did you have a, a place by three months like a like a specific spot. corner or spot but what did that look like for you it was actually i never i never forget uh what it was like from the first day i never like i was even though i was so high but i never forgot one day of what the things I did if somebody said hey you remember this I'll, I'll I was able to remember everything so the first night you know I was I was uh, I bought a little uh, a little tent and I placed it in a in a certain spot and it was the same from day one to it I was in the streets for like almost a year or a little over a year yeah. Where in Culver, was it in Culver City? And were you still working even though you were sleeping on the streets? Yes, I was. Or I was were. the first three months. I was working and, and I was still making money. But I was like so scared that, you know, the people living in the streets, my my partners or what, however you want to call them, they were trying to rob me because they knew I had money. And when, you know, they don't have money and they want their drugs, they want whatever, they'll do whatever So they were takes. also addicted. Yes. And they, they were, were also dealing with addiction. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Where were you working? I was working just around the corner from my spot, right on La Cienega in Venice. What were you doing for work? Uh, uh, prepping cars for paint. I see. I see. So you did that for a while and... Did, did your co-workers know that you had no place to sleep at night? Yeah. Yeah. But your they, boss knew? Yeah. But they... 
since I was good at what I was doing, they didn't care. As long as I was making them money, they're like, okay, well, we don't have to see you after five o'clock. Well, and similarly to what you were talking about when you were 19 and you met the boss at Santa Monica, it worked for him, it worked for you. And so it, it, it wasn't so much, hey, they're taking advantage of me. It was more like, we break even. Like, I, I get my money and they go their way. We, we go separately. So it was similar when you were homeless. It was like, this guy does the job, so I'm gonna keep paying him. He can do what he wants with his life after that. Yeah, actually, um, I was making $700 a week. And the guy said, every time I went to the bathroom, he went after me, he went in after me just to check out if, if something smelled bad in there. And he came out and every time he went like this, he was winking and like saying, okay, great job. So he said, one day he said, I don't care what you do, just do whatever you're doing. If you're using drugs, don't let me see you, get your stuff done. And at the end of the day, you do whatever you want. Just don't let me see you do it. Now, let me ask you this. You said you were working, but that was for a time. And then what, what ended up happening? How, how did it go? Um, I guess I was just uh, uh, not happy with, with my co-workers because I was seeing things that there were that I was just uh, hallucinating. I thinking, oh, they're all, all of them are against me and blah, blah, blah. So one, all of a sudden I, I quit. I said, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to work with these guys because they don't like me, blah, blah, blah. And that's how it happened. And it, it just got worse. And so then you're just on the street. And now let me ask you this. What do, you, what do your savings look like? Have you saved before this? Or are you deciding just to wing it and, and figure out how you'll find some money or, or are you going to panhandle from there on what, what's this going to look like for you actually i was i i didn't i wasn't used to uh, ask people for money or for food because i was ashamed of it because i i always worked and you know like i'm like oh i'm mexican you don't see a mexican asking for money you see other people but not mexicans because we work hard and for me it was just like I was actually asking my own, uh, the older homeless people for yeah. food and for water. And somehow I was able to work in a place for a couple hours. So I got a few dollars, like 20 bucks for two hours. So that's all I got. I see. I never stole from people. I never broke in houses. I was never killing or doing bad things. Oh, somehow drugs, I, I was able to uh, get, get my drugs. Now... Are you at all in touch with your pops during this time? No. Or did you just break off all communication? Yeah, I just that? broke off all communication with all my family. Even my family in Mexico, they didn't know anything about me. My dad, he was worried about me. And I just decided I'm not asking anybody for anything. And so how long did this go on? Uh, a little over a year. And and what what did the end of the year look like as in... How is it that you decided that you, you wanted to pick yourself back up again, if you will? Um, it was because um, these people, they were, they didn't like me anymore. And Your they, partners, you mean? Or No, like homeless people too. Like the people that I was living with, they, for some reason, they didn't like me anymore because um, I made a few mistakes. Like I took 
some of their things. I stole some of their things, and that's a big no-no for them. And I am an outsider, okay? So these people have li have been living together for 10 years. Now, let me ask you this. Are they... What, are they a little bit of everyone? Is are they black? Are they white? Are they other Mexicans? What what is what do your people look like at that point? It was mostly uh, black people, and a few Mexicans, and a couple white people, and and me. Yeah, but I don't think it was about the race that they didn't like me. It was about me stealing from them. Sure, sure, sure. Where was your site? Was all this in Culver City as well? Or? Yeah, I was actually at the end of the street. I was like under the bridge, but there's no people. Like it was just cars, and mm, they were like people. Regular people were scared to go back there because it was like there were so many stories about killings and stuff. I didn't care if I died or not, because I was just like I'm homeless. I don't get. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about my life. Nothing ever happened to me. Yeah. And so this situation happened where these people you were living with, they, they just didn't get along with you anymore. You didn't get along with them. Mm -hmm. And so what did you do then? What was what was your plan after that? Or what was your first step of action? I said, you know what? I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to be hungry. I don't want I, I don't want people to see me like, oh, he's homeless. He's just a piece of shit. And so one day I decided to uh, go to my aunt's house in South Central. I, I called her and I said, hey, tia, I don't want to be here anymore. Can you help me? I want to like, you know, get back on my feet. And she says, okay. So I went to live with her for a couple months. And then I called my friend, Joanna. She was actually living in see me. And I asked her for an opportunity to go there and she gave it to me. Well, let me ask you this as well then. Are you still using during that time when no. you're, when you're, recovering or when you're trying to find housing for yourself again um i was using when i was in south central living in my aunt's house i was but once i moved to see me that's when i stopped everything why because i was ready to be clean and i was ready to make the big change and the the um What really made me decide is because I was trying to go into a rehab center and they wouldn't accept me because I didn't have social security number, I didn't have a uh, uh, medical or you know the other thing, and so I had to do it by myself. I see. Mm -hmm. Pierre, you have questions? Well, I mean, so now that you're here and you're you're living with your friend, was there? Um, Was there anything, like, anything else that was really um, uh, motivating you? Because, you know, when you think about the first two times where you were straight for seven months and then you went back and you um, started doing drugs again, and then you were, uh, you tried it again for a second time, you were a little bit more successful, you did it for 11 months, and then you started back doing drugs again. Now you're here and you're trying it again. What was the what was the the main thought in your mind? You know, um, was it just from the pressure of you no longer had that um, support system um, when you were um, homeless and living there, or was it just more for yourself, or just a combination of things? Or you wanted to make your father proud? What was the the, the driving force to keep you straight for uh, 
for the duration of the journey? It was actually, um, I was actually for the first time doing it for myself. Because the first two times I was doing it for my father, for my mother. And the third time I said, I'm just going to do it for myself. And this time I knew, I felt like it was my last chance for me to get clean. Because my dad was sick of me. My aunt was sick of me. Everybody, everybody was sick of me. Because of always saying, oh, this time I'm going to make it. And, and I went back to using drugs and they didn't believe me anymore. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to prove prove it to myself and then others. So I actually did it for myself. Yeah. And so how long have you been clean now? Um, it's going to be one year next month. One year next month? Yeah. And that's the longest. That's the longest. So it has it has been a challenge because even though it's gotten better it's still something you're working on it sounds like yeah um actually the first 10 days it was a challenge after those 10 days after i started working and stuff i wasn't i wasn't thinking about drugs i wasn't i didn't have that urge to use and but lately i'll be honest with you lately i've been having thoughts about using and the things that i was doing and and i get i get a stomach ache and just to think about the things I, I, I'm going to go through if I start using again, yeah. it, it scares me. So how do, you, how do you try and find a balance? Because now you've been through so much. How old are you now? I'm 40. You're 40 years old. Yeah. So how is it that after, after years of being clean, after years of being better, you, you feel that you need to stay away from from these old habits how, how do you bring yourself back now um actually because uh, i love my girlfriend but i'm not doing it for her either i'm doing it for myself i'm 40 and i don't i see older people and i see how they suffer and i just think about myself being older and not having the the power uh, or the um the energy that i still have and being homeless what am i gonna do then so I'm, I, ha- I still have like 10 years of working hard. And so I can build something. Yeah. I want a family. Uh, I want to make my, my dad and my, my mom proud. Well, Hugo, we really appreciate your, your telling us this, this difficult story. And I think that it's, it's not easy to confront these kinds of demons, these kinds of facts about yourself. But... We're giving it a shot, and and you're with people that that value your story, that value your perspective, and and I think more people in Los Angeles and and all over our country need to hear stories like yours because it it says a lot about how people find themselves in the difficult situation of homelessness at some point, and how it's it's kind of a constant struggle. So it's not like it's not like once you have housing you are then set up indefinitely it's like you have to maintain that just just as you've said and and it's gonna get hard and so you kind of need some support for that because if there is none you mentioned your girlfriend for example you're not doing it for her but she's a source of support that like that you really benefit from so people people need support people need the respect that that they deserve when when we're talking about these things and that's how you get through is what it sounds like so i want to thank you for for sharing your story with us and and we we will have to 
continue this conversation at another time because this is an ongoing situation. It was my pleasure of sharing my my uh, my uh, story, and I'll be more than happy to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing that we must uh, all keep in mind is that it's very important to take care of your health, uh, especially your mental health, which is the you know it's the elephant in the room. But um, sometimes we don't give it enough attention or we don't just don't know much about it so please take care of your mental health take care of your health and um try your best to stay focused on whatever purpose that you feel your life needs that's it that's all we have for you peace and love to everybody out there thank you for tuning in much love much love to everybody out there thank you